Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster, a managing partner at Invader Comics and the writer of both Kadoja and Three Protectors. And I'm on the air and I completely forgot. And I'm Scott Lost. <laughs> you Holy are. Shit. We're recording and everything. Hey, Keith, you're on my iPad right now. <laughs> How the fuck did you get here, man? <laughs> what is going on? Uh, and I'm Scott Lost, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanderers Melisanda for the Accidental Aliens. Hell yeah. You are that. And, and you are aware now that we are, in fact, recording a podcast. I am. I slightly and, uh, know that. But but and and what we are about to be aware of is the beer that you were drinking for this evening. What what have you? It is a blast from the very recent last year past. So I'm having the chocolate babka pastry stout um, with cacao nibs. Yeah. Those nibs, man. Those 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 cow nipples are back. That's what nibs are, right? Yeah, I, I was going to say, do you remember your joke from last year? And yeah, yeah, my, my are, nice is, are the nipples. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's right. Everybody knows that. That's, yeah, that's yeah, nothing yeah. new. It's common knowledge. Common knowledge. Yeah, man. And I'm excited because it's been a year. I loved this last time I had it. Oh, oh, so chocolatey smelling. Mm-hmm. And it's so thick looking. I had one the other night, actually, because. Oh, my God. Yeah, that is just yeah. so delicious. It was it was a leftover from the holiday stuff, um, and we'll so let's get into let's get into my stuff. I have been super pleased because I believe I mentioned this last week that I went to Total Wine, or yeah, and no, this was actually in an episode a few weeks ago that I went to Total Wine and got some really nice like seasonal Christmas winter kind of lagers. Dude, right. we uh, we just went to Total Wine last night for for the very first time for me. Mm. I was like, "What is this place?" I yeah. thought it was just wine, but no, they s- sell everything. It's like a Bevmo. Singles too, tons of singles. Yeah, yeah I don't mm-hmm. know if you can pull anything and make it a single, but they they'll probably do that for you. And then nice. tonight, I went to Trader Joe's and they had like some brand new stuff, and I was really excited. So this one, I wanted to try it, and when I checked out, the the person at the register was like, "Have you had this yet?" And I was like, "No." And she said, it's really good. Like, we all tried the beers last night, and this was everybody's favorite. So this Ooh, is... Did that make you want to go grab more? Uh, no, no. It just I, I just I just wanted to have this one, but it happens to be at the Trader Joe's that's next to my office. So, I mean, it won't be hard for me to grab some more tomorrow if I like it that much. But this is Rogue Honey Mamas Santa's Private Reserve. Stout with natural tahini, tangerine, and chocolate flavors. I'm about to try. actually. I'll try it when you talk. But like, yeah, I mean, I think this this um, this combination looks particularly interesting. Um, there's a whole story on the back, but I don't want to read it this time. But I can tell you that this is a 16 ounce can, and it is 6.5 percent. So it's not it's not a whopper, um, but uh, but it'll do. It'll do, and uh, and hopefully it's really good. And, and hey, we're we're in the throes of winter here, and I now have a refrigerator stocked full of like stouts and um, uh, what's it called. Like like just darker, maltier lagers um, for for the season. So really excited about uh, about my drinking future when it comes to stuff. Right on. But yeah, that can looks get, really cool yeah. too on that one you're drinking. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, yeah. I actually got a second rogue beer that looked interesting as well. So yeah, I was happy to see some. I don't know, man. There's something very stupidly exciting about just seeing a bunch of new beers in Trader Joe's that you've never seen before. You know, oh, it, like, it's so exciting. Hey. Yeah, we took a trip to Trader Joe's uh, a few days ago. And that's what it's always about. It's just like, all right, what's the new additions? What what are we getting here? And, uh, you know, I didn't find too many things that I didn't have already. Like that Rogue one, I hadn't seen that. So mm-hmm. hopefully, hopefully I Go just... Go tomorrow. 
Yeah, hopefully I just yeah. missed it or something like that. I just, I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, anyway. Really good. Really, like in terms of straight up stouts, non-bourbon barrel division, mm-hmm. one of my favorites. Okay. Because right? once you throw a stout in a bourbon barrel, it just, it gets that similar taste across all of them. Where this is just a standard stout. And man, it is it is really, really good. I am going to buy more of these tomorrow. What is, so describe it for me. What's good about it? What's good about it is that it's not, okay, so stouts sometimes carry this coffee-ish vibe to them. Yeah. It might be a it might be more of a bitter chocolate, it might be more of a coffee note if that's what the fancy beer people say, where this one doesn't really have that. It's it's smooth and it's got a little bit of a chocolate thing mm-hmm. and it also does have this little hint of the tangerine in it, which makes it really really interesting. I mean, you have to you have to squint your eyes hard for it, but damn it, it is there. And so um yeah, in terms of like stouts, this feels like one of the most smooth drinking ones i've had um something else i like about it is it's a it's a touch more on the carbonated side as far as stouts go stouts stouts are pretty not carbonated you know but uh but some of them feel even less carbonated than others and they're almost like they almost drink like flat soda you Mm. know and Mm -hmm. um, and this one doesn't have that this one has some pop to it just that tiny little bit of pop that i tend to like in my beer so yeah man super good i'm gonna buy more tomorrow as long as they're there yeah, yeah. Same with this chocolate bobcat. There's a little bit of a fizz there. It's not over overwhelming or anything like that. Um, not overly strong. So I knew what you were describing because I was experiencing it. And uh, it's just dark, thick, just like I like my ladies. Yeah, there you go. And <laughs> and and with that, what was the first thing you did this week? Speaking of speaking of what you like, you like you like getting work done. And so let's. Oh get yes, to I it. do. Yes, I do. So uh, another page is down. Thank goodness these things are are moving at a decent speed. Um, this page, it was a two to three day page at the very most. Like I was flying through it, and then I had this one panel, like in my initial thumbnail, it was three characters like meeting up for the first time in a while, catching up, and that's all it was. And there were full body images, and I was just like, yeah, like the balance of this page looks pretty cool. Um, But something that I wanted to make sure I did on this page, it's something I've talked about a lot. It's like, you don't need to have backgrounds necessarily in every panel, but you you need them in at least one. You want to have that wow image, that wow factor, you know, if the page allows for it. And this was one of those things where it's like, hey, they're in a comic store. They're meeting up for the first time. You should be able to see their surroundings. You need to know where they are in the store. Well, guess what's in a comic store, Keith? Funko Pops. (laughs) Funko Pops and a shitload of shelves with a shitload of comic books on them. Yes. So so that was my, the majority of my week was drawing in this background. Like I was able to knock out, um, I want to say there's, I think it's a six panel page, a five to six panel page. And I was able to knock those other panels out in in a day or two. And then, yeah, about two days to do those. And then it took me four days to complete that one panel. There was just so much going on in that background that it really ate up a lot of my time. And just kind of getting the characters' heights right. And uh, there were some background characters, like two of the background characters in that particular panel. They're both Kickstarter backers. And... Um, they both pledge to one of them is a longtime backer of the comic 
and he's the comic store owner, Patrick. And so he was in the background in one of those. And uh, another another person, uh, this guy that I've known for, for some time, he's been following the books forever. Um, I met him through, I think, his sister, actually. And he, so he's been backing the book. And the last Kickstarter I had for Second Shift, he backed the guest star tier. And he wanted it for his daughter. So I drew the daughter in the background. And so that was fun to do. So I had to get some reference photos from him. And it was funny, too, because he sent me three photos. They all look like school school photos. And it looked like she was wearing a uniform in all three of them. Three different uniforms, but it looked like she was wearing a uniform. And I was like, do you, do you know what kind of clothes she wants to wear um, for the image? You know, because, you know, these are just beyond these school uniforms. And I'm like, unless these are just her style and these aren't uniforms. He goes, nope, those aren't uniforms. That's her style. And I was okay. like, oh, the preppy look. All right, cool. You know, she's right. got, a, got a little flair. I think she's, I don't know, about like 10 or something mm-hmm. like that. And I was like, wow, look at her. You know, she's got her own style about her. Very cool. So, um, yeah, man, that that's fun to do, putting people in the background. And something I really like to do and like to try, and I think everyone, if you're going to be drawing people that are real in your comics, is to make sure you're drawing them in your style. And I think I've done that with Patrick. I think he just looks like a character that I draw. I don't think mm-hmm. it looks like I'm drawing a caricature of someone, you know, or a likeness of someone. It just looks like someone that's in my comic book. Um, so that's that's really important when you're doing that sort of thing. You want to make sure incorporating them into your books and making it look seamless. And that pretty much goes with any kind of photo reference that you're using, whether it be people, um, you know, uh, animals even. Like you kind of want to have it in your same flavor. You don't want to make it look look like it's standing out too much, and especially in the wrong way. Mm-hmm. Hey, man, that's awesome. I mean... It is. It is interesting. I mean, I, if anything, I just have thoughts about tangential stuff. I, I remember uh, my kid, my youngest, when she was ten. She had like this crazy style. Like it was, it was terrible. She would like match <laughs> plaids with stripes and shit and uh-huh. all that kind of stuff. It, there's actually a family joke about it. But um, but then what happens is now she's in high school and she has a better sense of style. But then when I go to pick her up at school, God damn it, if she doesn't look like 45% of all the people there, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. it's just, it's now it, look, it's an arts high school. So, you know, the people there are a little funkier and, you know, you'll see people dress up as like fucking like anime characters just to go to a regular day of school, which is pretty crazy and, right. and fun. You know, that's what you get there. But it is interesting to watch styles sort of blend together once someone is around their peers and they like the way they do it. And then before you know it, you know, there is some degree of similarity. Although uh, another another fun note, uh, Eden has gotten a lot of hand-me-downs from her 85-year-old uh, great aunt and wears a lot of that. And, oh. and like she just likes it and like people like comment on her on how cool her clothing is and i'm like yeah your your style is 85 year old filipino auntie <laughs> you know <it's> just <laughs> but it, but it, like it works as a young person it's just crazy the way things are cyclical and how what's old is new and you know you can just flip something fresh that your friends simply don't see and all of a sudden they're like that's awesome yeah yeah that's everything comes back around and it's funny because i think the I think the 80s style was coming back in and um, my sister-in-law and her her best friend, they're like kids of the 80s. Like I was born in 80, but they were teenagers in the 80s. Right. So it was like mm-hmm. right in their right in their wheelhouse. And um, I remember my sister-in-law's best friend was like really excited about it. And I forgot who in my my family are a bunch of assholes. Like she was just so excited to wear the stuff and. 
<laughs> someone in my family let her know it's just like it looks cool when kids do it it looks sad when grown-ups do it yeah totally <laughs> totally so. Totally. Well, okay, I, I'm, we're going to go on a couple tangents here because they're too juicy to avoid. I did hear a line one time that might even be like some kind of quasi-official fashion line, which is, if you wore it the first time it came around, don't wear it the second time it comes around. Yeah, yeah that sounds right. Yeah, um, but that also that also brushes up against something that I think about a lot, which is I always want to have an appropriate style for my age you know what i mean which which comes down to it i mean there's a reason that my favorite sneaker is jordan one because jordan one is a good like middle-aged dude sneaker (laughs) well it's a good sneaker for everybody it's classic but i think it it particularly works you know for for people of certain ages too i mean you can wear everybody can wear jordan ones and they're amazing but but i also think that like if if i flip that if i just walked around in some fucking tie-dye lebron shoe right now i'd look like a fucking idiot you know, and that's you want to you want to not ideally look like an idiot if you can help yourself, you know. Um, right. Yeah. I'm trying to zone out as much as possible, not because I've worn screen tees ever since I was a little kid. Like mm-hmm. I've never not worn screen tees. That's just how I dress. Mm-hmm. And like over the years, like my family members would comment and I was like, what are you guys talking about? It's cool. It has a cool design on it and, you know, it has a cool picture and blah, blah, blah. And then, you know, when I got in, when I hit 40, like late 30s, early 40s, I was like, oh, like, you know, it kind of hit me a little bit. And it's just like, wow, how did I not see this? Like, you know, it's cool to wear once in a while, but if you're always wearing it, it's just kind of like a a fashion faux pas. You know, Um, I remember years ago when I was wrestling, I went to Osaka Pro and there is a... There's a brand out there called Bathing Ape. Have you ever heard of it? Uh, I have a very, I'm very, very familiar with Bathing Ape. I actually had the book and then sold it for like four times what I paid for it. So yeah. Oh, right on. Yeah. So Bathing Ape was a huge brand out there. A lot of, a lot of clothing, you know, with Bathing Ape stuff on it, really popular. And I remember one of the wrestlers at Osaka Pro was commenting. I won't say who it is, but it's someone very high up in the company. They wear nothing but Bathing Ape, and. Uh, they made a comment saying basically he's made it bad fashion because he yeah. always wears it. He's not the most popular. He's high up, but he's not the most popular. And it's all he mm-hmm. wore. So he made it not cool. So yeah, totally. It, it's totally. kind of a, a lesson there. It's just like, yeah, find something that's cool. And but like, don't don't always have it on because then you yeah. kind of wear out the welcome of it. And then so when exactly. you do wear it, it's it's fine. And I, I feel like, I was like, oh, I think that's what I was doing with just screen tees. It was like, you know, I'm like freaking the Sheldon on the Big Bang Theory, just that's all I wear, nothing but. And so, yeah, so now it's just kind of like, all right, let me get some polo shirts in there and some button-ups just to change it up, you know? Totally, totally, totally. No, that's that's interesting. Um, oh, and I've also, I've also replaced comic and nerd culture screen tees with jocks nerd shit so i just have laker gear on all the time yeah, <laughs> so it's just yeah, like yeah. oh i just switched what i was wearing so it's almost the same thing but uh you know yeah. it, it is what it is i don't know i hear you i hear you. i don't know i, I don't know what to do um how many things do you have this week <laughs> not a lot i'm gonna tell you that okay so so i i have a very quick business thing Let's get to the business thing first, and then we and then I can have a little bit more of an interesting conversation. Okay, my okay. business. I got thing like one more that, thing. Okay, yeah, my business thing, a very short thing, is that 
I continue to work on Three Protectors Volume 2. I am now basically through, you know, as as I've mentioned before, I have three chunks in this book, right? I have a script that's going to need an artist, pages that need to get the script rewritten around, and then additional pages that follow that are going to use the same artist. So again, I'm happily through that second stretch where I was just, you know, scribbling and chopping up paper, you know, and and just getting tactile on it with pencils and post-its and doing all that. So that's good to go. And uh, it's just a matter of getting through this this final little piece of pages where the comic comes to an end. So um, it definitely reads like a part two, you know, so it's it's not this self-contained story the way number one is. And I'm slightly concerned on that, but I'm also not because, you know, when you do a number one and people like it, then they ask if there's more. And most of the time you don't just do, okay, here's a number two. And that story's self-contained. No, no, no. Number two is usually the one where like the story really starts to branch out. And now you realize that you're in for the long haul, right? Um, so anyway, you know, just a dumb a dumb thing that I, I thought about for like 10 seconds and then dismissed. But yeah, man, I'm, I'm cranking on through and hopefully I'll have that script done pretty soon. And then can, you know, just figure out what I want to do. I'm probably going to let that sit on the shelf for a little bit because I'm going to pay an artist to do Kadoja number three, Kadoja Symphony of Madness number three. But those things are, again, out. I'm probably going to take a little bit of a financial break and just, uh, you know, run a Kickstarter or two and uh, and go with the books I have. And then so be it on when the next issue comes out. You know what I mean? Like, I got to I got to look out for my bottom line first. And uh, I need to have some some money coming in before I have some more money coming out for artists. Yeah, I hear you. Actually, I have two more things. Um, yeah, okay. that's that'll work. Yeah, that all makes sense. That's all. That's all good. You're, you know, you you talked about that uh, not too long ago. Um, you're kind of. We talked about you wrapping up your projects, basically a lot of them, mm-hmm. and Three Protectors is one that you're squarely in the middle of. So that's that's yep. that's the kind of one that's the longevity. That's going to have a little bit more time to it um, as we exactly. go on. Exactly. Um, and and hey, I can I can write them all. It just doesn't you know. And then and then while I'm paying for the art to all get done, I can write something else. You know. Yeah. Um, exactly. I actually, I actually just had a a really fun idea jump into my head yesterday for something that would make a fun comic. But like way in its infancy, way you know early. But wow, do I like the idea. So, but I gotta I gotta clear the decks a little bit first before I explore that idea. In addition to all the other stuff I'm doing. Yeah, it's it's interesting because going through. And this kind of leads into one of my second thing, I guess. Um, or I'll talk about my second thing. So um, this week has kind of been a waiting around process. So, you know, to, like I've spoken about not too recently is I have a couple of commissions that I've been waiting on. You know, I've been waiting on the commissioners to get back to me, to pay me, to let me know where they want me to go. Um, the Mermaid Commission that I'm working on. Uh, it had been three weeks. I sent him that follow-up email. He he finally responded, and he goes, "I didn't get the other email. I had the last email I got from you was you were asking me questions as far as the blue line artwork goes." And so I was just like, "Okay, well, I had I had forwarded him the previous email and said, mm-hmm. hey, just just checking in, see the email below.'" And he goes, "Yeah, I didn't get that." But then he gave me no response as far as like direction or anything like that. It's like, is it good to go? What? Like, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. So I, I followed up very quickly as soon because I have a habit of checking my email multiple times during the day. You know, it's just on your phone, very easy. Mm-hmm. So I responded right away. I was just like, okay, well, hey, must have got lost in the shuffle somewhere. Maybe it went to your garbage. Who knows? 
anyway, um, what do you think? Do you, yeah. do you want these? <laughs> right. Yeah. Let's let's get this done here. So yeah. uh, I was just like, you know, is the single line OK? And uh, he finally responded. And he said it's fine, but he wants me to f uh, shade in some dark areas as well. He just wasn't particular, you know. It's just like, okay, where do you you like the single line style, but you want to want me to fill in some blacks? But I it just for me, the style of the piece doesn't it doesn't want it. Like in my head, mm -hmm. I'm like the piece. This piece doesn't want blacks. Like it doesn't mm -hmm. want any dark patches. Because it's an open line style. Like when you have a mm -hmm. single line style, it's very reminiscent of that traditional Japanese art style. Like, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, um, yeah. It's so, interesting because you're making you're making me think of a Japanese uh, religion while you're mm. talking. And it is Taoism. Um, and, uh, you know, there's this there's this line. I think, you know, as as a lot of uh, older religions do, they, you know, look, religions tell uh, uh, give things through stories. And there was a story one time, I believe this is Taoism, where um, it talks about a person who is kind of cutting a carcass up into like nice things of meat. And, uh, and I guess the person asks like, wow, your cuts are so precise and clean. You know, how do you how do you do such amazing work? And he, he says, I let the meat cut itself. And so that is kind of like this Taoist principle, right? Of like the ease of the universe. It's a and sadomasochistic so... cow. Ah, ah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I'm a they bad were into girl. S and M back in Taoism. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean we're not we're not stupid, <laughs> you know, but uh but yeah, anyway, I, I think I think that kind of reminds me of that, right? That like you see something and you're like, No, 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 no. This this is how the meat has cut itself in right. terms of this art. And then the person's like, No, 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 I want you to do this thing and that thing and that thing and you're like oh it's sort of sort of going against the zen of what i got going on here you it's know like, but i want you to take this ribeye and throw it in that meat grinder and make hamburgers out of it <laughs> exactly it's like no <laughs> and then pour a1 <laughs> all over it yeah, <laughs> right like right. what the fuck are you doing <laughs> yeah anyway yeah yeah, yeah so it, it's one of those i'm gonna i'm going to get back to him i just i got the email back and i was like i I got to look at it. I got to look at the piece and see where I can do this. But at the same time, I think I just want to refer him to my colorist. I want to go, how about we leave the piece as is? Because me personally, I don't I don't see that. I don't see the areas that you would like. If you want to point them out to me, please do. Mm -hmm. But I think my colorist would do an amazing job on this piece. And we wouldn't need to do that. I mean, it's more money out of his pocket, but... My client is very, very okay on that end. Like it's yeah. it's not a hard sell for for me to go. This piece would look good colored, and he'll go okay. Yeah. Get your colors to color it. So I I legitimately think it would benefit from just a color job as opposed to you know spotting blacks on the page. So um, I'll get back to him tonight and um, see what he says. And if not, I'll I'll do my best. I'll fill in where he wants me to, and I won't be exactly happy about it, but. You know, he, if he is, then that's the point, right? Like, if the client's happy, then mm -hmm. we should be happy because that's that's all that matters. Because then the work keeps coming in. Um, it, is, it is, but uh, I wanted to mention something. I don't know how familiar. I mean, you, you, we've obviously hung out multiple times at my place. Have you seen the small, uh, the small word reminder that I have hung to the right of my desk? Is it the one that says like "fuck you" or something like that? Well, everywhere, yes, you've got it. It's it's a it's a like life 
philosophy from a company called Good Fucking Design Advice, GFDA. And I first came across this thing, I don't know, 10 years ago. And the second I saw it, I was like, this is so in my wheelhouse. And all it is, is a bunch of really cool sayings for people who are creative. I mean, it's meant for people who are like design professionals, Mm -hmm. but it's meant for people that are creative too. And so I'm going to read the first few, and then I'm going to get down to the one that I'm thinking of as you're talking. So the first few, it says, believe in your fucking self, stay up all fucking night, work outside of your fucking habits, know when to fucking speak up, fucking collaborate, don't fucking procrastinate. Like that's, that's the whole thing, right? It's just a bunch of cool things with the word fucking in, in mm-hmm. the sentence somewhere. Um, the one that I'm thinking of, educate your fucking client right there in the middle, mm, yeah. right? And so I think that's pretty interesting, right? I think you, I mean, it's cool that your client seems open to education and uh and hopefully they go along with it right and then you'll find that he'll get something greater than the thing he wanted in the first place you know something yeah. that even surpasses his expectations because he wasn't thinking along he was thinking along his lines but your lines could uh hopefully create an even greater project that he'll be happier to own i do hope that's the case because i would hate to potentially fuck up this piece since it's pretty much done in my eyes. Um, But it's one of those things where you can tell a young person, hey, if you do this, this is going to happen. It's going to be a mistake. A lot of young people go, nah, you don't know what you're talking about. You're old. And it's just like, yeah, that's why I know what I'm talking about, because I already did something like this. And then (laughs) guess who made this mistake two decades ago? Exactly. And in their eyes, they're like, you just didn't do it right. And then so then they do it and then it's a fuck up. And then they learn. And it's, it's just like sometimes people just have to learn. But I'm really and, – and my client is older. So hopefully this is a situation where he just listens to me and doesn't have yeah. to learn from this mistake. But, um, yeah, we'll I see gotcha. how it rolls out. And the other waiting game that I've been doing is with Mike Perkins. So um, me and Ed uh, a few weeks back sent him stuff and – was basically just waiting to hear back to see what he thought of the solutions and the long-term oh, goal okay. of the second shift. So, yeah, wait, playing the waiting game with Mike. And uh, so I'm going to send him a follow-up. You know, I'm not one to pester. I don't mm-hmm. like to pester people. So, um, but it, it's been some time. And, you know, we just want to get some answers. You know, it's just like, let's see you know, what you have to say, like what your perspective is. And it's, it's valuable. So it's just like, Hey man, we're champing at the bit. Like I, I know I am, I want to see the corrections that work for him and the things that like his notes specifically, like where, where he sees issues and where he sees like things that are good and I can find solutions. I'm, I'm a problem solver. It's just Mm -hmm. like, okay, well, that's the problem how can I fix that? And yeah. sometimes the the answer is very easy and I'm looking forward to figuring that out. Mm-hmm. Well, Hey, hopefully he gets back to you soon and then you can, uh, you can proceed with what you think is the right solution. Yeah. So yeah, I can't wait to hear back from him on that work through those corrections and adjustments. And also we have issue 13 that we're working on. So I want to get that over to him as well. Just say, all right, Hey, let me give you, you know, some more dough and yeah. uh, do, do your thing on this issue. See if you see anything before we have a final product. You nice. know, that way, you know, we get ahead of these things and it's not a kind of like going back and trying to fix fix a road that potentially might have some cracks in it. You know what I mean? Yeah, man. My My second thing of the week is, I think, more interesting to talk about. And that is that last night I had my first workshop for my second novel. 
And so oh, nice. that was that was fun. I mean, it is look, this is a very this is the first draft of the first draft. You know what I'm saying? Like, I still have multiple passes to go through this draft to even call it a half passable first draft. But that said, I did uh, get some notes back from my workshop people. And I got to say, I went in thinking, if they say anything above, this is a complete bucket of shit, I'll be happy. And uh, and they really liked it, you know, I mean, with with usual first draft caveats, because I I did. There's always a period at the beginning of the workshop where we talk about what we've done the last couple of weeks. And I talked about how I'm just I'm just going through first draft stuff and that, you know, for for the for the purposes of economy, I'm not really here to wordsmith sentences in a first draft. Because you can wordsmith the most badass sentence and spend a ton of time on it if that's what you want to do. Guess what? It might get cut. And then you wasted all that time. So for me, I like starting with, look, I'm not, I'm not trying to write shitty sentences, but I'm going to write like good sentences and worry about dialing up that sentence power once I actually know what the hell I'm doing. And uh, in terms of plot, all that kind of stuff. And, and I can say that even though it didn't directly come from their notes, the things they said are already triggering major changes I think I want to do in the novel. For example, I I was originally thinking that I would write this from four different points of view. But the first set of notes I got made me realize that the the nature of the book that I am doing, it's going to be very like psychological. It's going to be a little bit of like mind fuckery. And because it has that psychological element, I think it's going to be enough of a challenge describing stuff that happens and staying central to the plot without a fourth point of view, specifically because that fourth point of view was going to have a big element of mystery to it. And just based on the notes I got from them last night, I'm not I'm not sure this novel needs it. I think I'm going to challenge myself over these these next few days. So the good news is. The notes they gave me definitely give me some tactile things that I can work on for a while. You know, I will change my goals over the the coming week as I as I put through these notes. It's not going to be about writing X number of words. It's just going to be about getting through the notes in a couple days or however long, you know, do an hour a day instead of 500 words a day. And once I get through all those, I, I do have some big thinking to do. And some of the big thinking comes around historical setting. And uh, some of the big thinking comes around the the overall plot. As much as I want the characters to dictate what's happening in this novel, I think I need a better grasp of the overall plot. And I need a grasp of how many characters I need to tell that story. So there's going to be some big thinking and a whole lot of probably research. So while I'm going to write whenever I can, you know... I'm also more than willing to chuck word totals for the day out the window here, which is, I think, in a way, it's very in lockstep with what I've talked about on previous episodes, which is comics are taking the priority. The novel is taking the back seat. Whatever I do, I do. But it was nice because this workshop really drove home that, number one, I need to do more research that's critical to the novel because otherwise I'm just going to have to shove it in later. And number two, that I'm going to, I should rethink 
the number of people I'm using to tell this story because given the convoluted semi, you know, yes, yeah, semi convoluted nature of the story itself and the things I'm trying to do, three point of views may be just fine and may keep the reader guessing, you know, and all three right. readers, they, they came back and they said, you know, I'm not quite sure where you're going, but I'm really intrigued. And that's OK. You know, like if. Yeah, that's a good that's a good if, start right there. Dude, and, and it is it is meant for this, you know, again, without giving too much away of the novel. Um, and we're going to get into this a little bit. I, I, I texted you through the week that I think my degree of withholding has become so severe that by by giving some bit of information that still really doesn't give anything away, we can get some good podcasts out of it. And I think that's important. So, like, this is a magic type of novel. And anyone who has read the episode will uh, rep episode title will know that we're about to dive deeper into that idea. Um, but because of that, the magic itself, like there can be some convoluted nature to that. And again, I think I'm going to have enough of a challenge keeping all that in a logical structure without creating confusion with a fourth point of view, which again is a particularly mysterious point of view, if that makes sense. You know, the the way that I had thought of it was that the first three point of views, whenever you'd go to their point of view, the chapter would start with their name. Uh, you know, what's funny is I was thinking that same thing, like just be just hearing you talk about this. I have like beyond what I hear from you on the pod, you and I don't talk much about this novel. Mm -hmm. So I was like, how just as you were speaking, I'm like, how would he do that? How would he do that from different perspectives to where the reader would know that it switched the person that's narrating the story? And, and, and my only thought would be every time the chapter broke, it went to the next person and maybe there yeah. was a title there, you know, yep. like, yep. Um, exactly. like exactly. elf penises, Bianca. And then it was Bianca <laughs> talking about her, her, uh, you know, affections for elf penises. <laughs> What the fuck was that? <laughs> I don't know, but I that was enjoyable. I may have to edit it, but it's magic. Uh, it's magic, Keith. Is what it is. Oh, is that what it is? Okay. Yeah. Then I, then I, it's, it's, then I, I'm on theme. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's just me and the chocolate say, Bobka having a conversation say, about Bianca and her elf penises. There, <laughs> there was a moment there where I thought I was drinking the higher ABV beer, and then I remembered that it was you. <laughs> there was one set of footsteps and it was the chocolate bobka it was the chocolate bobka footsteps carrying you the whole time because this so bottle anyway. is two and a half fucking glasses is well that's what i was gonna is. say too like like i'm only drinking 16 ounces motherfucker you're drinking 22 you know yeah. so and and you're 10 percent per ounce and i'm six and a half percent per ounce oh yeah so we're going my friend we're going i'm the i'm the captain of this cruise ship and I wish I knew the rest of the line, but well, you that's know what? a fantastic voyage. Well, yeah. but you know what? I'm the captain now. <laughs> that's what the chocolate babka said to me. That's the chocolate babka <laughs> held you up at gunpoint. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, um, and then uh, that was your whole thing, right? That For, was my whole thing. Yeah. So, okay. So going off of that, just a couple of things that you said, you know, doing more research and such, and like even going all the way back to you saying that you had an idea for another story that's way off into the future, that's something you have to do research for, etc. It made me think of the situation with Second Shift, Wanders of Milisanda, and this, excuse me, Chocolate Bobka again, uh, and this new project that I'm going to be doing at the top of next year. And it's interesting because. Second Shift was a story that I thought of 
like the characters I thought of in the seventh grade, right? And as time went on, their story changed, and as what the the context of the story, what it was, like initially they were like um, monster hunters, you know, and and, because I think at the time vampires were really popular. I think Buffy the Vampire Slayer and all that stuff was really in, you know, as as the characters were changing as time was going on. So um, I was like, well, what can I do that's similar to that? But that isn't biting off of that. I was just like, oh, like there's I can just do the classic monsters in general. And that's that could be what they are. You know, like, oh, maybe there's this, you know, zombie necromancer. And I don't think zombies were in at the time, um, which they were in. I might be reversing that. The vampires might not have been in yet. I think it might have been zombies at the time. Um, I don't know. Pick one of those. So uh, anyway, so I had this idea over time that changed. And, you know, once me and Ed started doing the book, they we kind of just jumped into it and, and started doing what we were doing. With Wanders and Melisanda, it was kind of an evolution of an idea that I had about people traveling through space, you know, and going to different planets and discovering different things. And, um, you know, it was a lot of the story initially was about time and evolution. And the last moment edition was dinosaurs. And then it became the evolution of dinosaurs. And that's kind of become the focus of the story. So there's other elements of the stories that I I really haven't gotten into. And I'm still debating if I should even do them or if it makes the story too convoluted. If it makes too much, too much is going on in this one story. And uh, the third project that I want to do, it's more of the approach that you're taking with potentially the short story. And then also just what you're dealing with with your second novel, which is I just need to do more research Mm -hmm. with the... With this third story, it's not so much research, I guess, but it's more focusing in on elements of the world and kind of rounding everything out first. And I guess I guess a, a, a little bit of research, but more or less kind of just making sure everything, all the bases are covered. Mm-hmm. You know, with, with Wanderers, most of it's there already. You know, like you find out about that world basically in the first issue. And you're ready to roll. You can just keep going through. But as me and Ed are doing more issues, it's like, okay, well, what about this? What is? How does that work, you know, in this world? And so it's kind of figuring that stuff out. Whereas I think this third story, it's kind of like with each project that I do, I learn more and more as I go through and what I need to do to prep myself for those questions so they have answers before you know, it's it's not one of those things where you're like, well, uh, I'll get back to you on that. It's just like, no, I have the answers. It's like, I might not be telling you yet because it's not part of the story yet, but I do have them. Yeah, I mean, that's the trick about research. For me, I've been so scared straight about the idea of getting addicted to research that I think that's made me a little research averse when it comes to this second novel. And so... There, you do need to fucking do it, you know, especially if you're doing things like a period piece like I'm doing. Oh, like definitely. that sort of stuff is interesting, you know, like I and I don't really intend on remixing the past. There are plenty of stories out there where, you know, oh, for an example, there might be like a, a detective in, you know, 1930s China who rhymes hip hop lyrics, you know, like 
that that's a thing. Like I would read that comic incidentally, but that's not the comic that I'm, that's not the book that I'm writing. I'm trying to stay true to history with a slight twist that feels true to the era. Um, so yeah, man, it means that I'm going to have to do a lot more research. So to be continued, uh, but it was, it was nice to get that set of notes back because it's the first set of notes I've gotten. Um, I'm very early in the book, so now's a great time to make these kind of big changes and really think them through. And I'm going to have time to think them through because my primary stuff is going to be just cranking out comics for a while and writing when I can. So, and uh, and I'll keep it fun and I'll keep on doing some research and going from there. Right on, man. Yeah, yeah. So, let's get to our main topic. And uh, oh, you know, I, I was... think I had I had one last thing. Super okay. quick. Won't take too much time. Um, talked about it maybe a month and a half ago at this point on the air. Um, so remember I had the 3D image made from Fiverr. Yeah. And then I had your guy create a 3D image of it. Well, guess what? He's finished. He knocked nice. out 10 for me. I was like, look, let me let me do a minimum order of 10 with you. And I was like, but look, you know, I got to do some jobs. got to catch up on some things. So I might not get be able to get you the dough until like January, something like that. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I haven't even started on the story. And so it might be somewhere around mid January. Um, he let me know I'm going to have a kid, so I might not have time to make them. And I was like, look, man, Hey, I'm not trying to tell you do what you're with your time. And I don't know, you know, it's like a trust issue or anything like that. But if you want to start doing them now, and this is again, and this was about a month and a half ago, I was like, if you want to do them now, I guarantee I will pay you for them, for your time, yeah. for, for the items, everything. Like, you know, I'm sure Keith will vouch for me. Um, your referral from him, I would never do that. He goes, oh, I wasn't worried about that. And he's like, yeah, I could do them now. And I was like, okay, yeah. cool. And uh, But just so happens, I have the amount to pay him. So I was just like, you know what? Because um, he was letting me know that he was finishing up. He's like, hey, just so you know, I finished them. And I was like, I can actually pay you soon. So okay. if you want to have them sent over, you know, give me the total, I'll pay you, then you could ship them out. And he goes, okay, I'll let you know. And uh, I got a note right before the show, and he was like, hey, here's your tracking number, sent them out. Here's a, here's the shipping total. Yeah, I was like, cool. cool, so this is the total that I owe you. He goes, that's it. I was like, all right, I will pay you tomorrow. And he goes, sounds oh, yeah. great. Let me know when you got them, all that. I hope you like them. And I was like, dude, they looked amazing in the photos. I'm not, I'm, I'd am not. i imagine they're going to look even better in person. So yeah. I'm really excited to see them. Um, and hopefully those will be showing up. Where's, where's he based out of? Uh, the, like, suburban Seattle. Like, oh, like okay. outside, a couple hours outside of Seattle, if I remember. Oh, okay. Or a couple so, hours outside of Portland. I can't remember which one. So um, they might show up Saturday. You know, Seattle's yeah. not not too far from us here in California. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely West Coast. Um, within within a couple hours drive of either Seattle or Portland, and I'm embarrassed that I even forgot it. But yeah, yeah hey, close enough. So yeah, he, yeah, that should be here no later than Monday, I would imagine. Nice. So psyched about getting those. It's going to be great to have them. I now have to create, now it's all on me, I have to create an image for the boxes. I already contacted the box company so they can get me, they told me the rate, seemed very reasonable. Um, so it's up to me now to create the image for the box. Um, so, but that's gonna be a little bit, that's gonna be a little bit. I gotta, yeah. I gotta draw draw some uh, more character stuff and turnarounds and whatnot, and then I can finally get to an image that I could be happy with and put on the box. So um, I want something that jumps out. Like I've mentioned 
on the air a few times. You have your own 3D figure of Kadoja. The box is badass. It draws attention. And uh, that's that's what I think. When I think of this, I'm like, I need something that catches the eye like Keith's box does. So nice. um, try to think of something cool, something very catchy. And uh, hopefully that'll get done as soon as I can. So Yeah. yeah. Uh, you're in no hurry. You're working way ahead. You know? mm-hmm, definitely. That's that's the thing about when, when you work to things like that. You create this arbitrary goal. And then before you know it, you're like, wait, you know, God, I got to do this. I got to do this. You're like, wait a fucking minute, man. The comic's not even started. <laughs> I haven't even drawn <laughs> you know? page one. <laughs> I haven't even drawn page one. Yeah, yeah. So you have plenty of time. You have plenty of well, time. Well, that's what you makes us successful, my friend. Yeah, there you go. That's 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 what we just, we just, <laughs> that's, that's what pays for the Burberry helicopters that we both own. <laughs> and that's and what pays that, for these very expensive chocolate bob cuts from trader joe's exactly that that's what allows us to afford 3.99 beers at trader joe's <laughs> at a high clip uh, yeah yeah at a, a high high clip so let's get to our main topic um I, we may have to do a little disservice to this because it's a ton of information and i think i think i want to go through it quickly and then maybe it'll just leak into future episodes but as I as I mentioned a few minutes ago, so what we're going to talk about is we're going to talk about magic systems. And uh, like I mentioned, you know, my second novel plays heavily in magic. I don't need to say which kind, but at least that gives people, you know, instead of giving this sci-fi parallel example about blah, 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 let's call it what it is. Let's call it a magic novel. And uh, and in, in getting out there, I think it's going to allow us to have some more interesting conversations about the role that magic plays in the book because it's something that I've been thinking of. So as I was thinking about the role magic plays in the book, I was like, wait a minute. I attended a panel at San Diego Comic-Con a few years ago about magic. And the wild thing is, Scott, I found I found it in my journal. Oh, wow. It's it's from July 2017. Oh, so that how many journals ago was that? Uh, at least three or four. At oh, least wow. three or okay. four. Now, my journals have pretty much become nothing but novel workshop notes and like podcast notes and stuff like that. But it changes. And so, you know, if I ever go to a lecture or something and write some interesting shit down, you know, there's some cool shit in here, too. So what I think is interesting is that this was five months before I even started my first class at UCLA that led to my first novel. And so it's interesting to see kind of like the foundations of me as a person getting stir crazy in terms of even deciding to attend this because I had no intention of writing a magic novel, you know, like this, this wasn't even a thought at the time, but, uh, I just dug this out today because I had, I had told you that I will lead this conversation and I have notes from this lecture I had, so it'll be pretty easy to go through. And what was fascinating is that in in reading through these notes, I need to think about some of this stuff for my novel right now. So let me let me go ahead and give props to the person that led this lecture. Okay, the person's name is Maxwell Drake. Um, I believe if you look up Maxwell Drake writer again, I'm going to give him a little bit of shine here because he provided content for the episode. It looks like he does like some some workshop type things or some videos or some writing assistance type stuff that you can sign up for. So if you like what he's talking about here, then give him a shout, okay? Again, free publicity, but not because he's giving us content based on this lecture that's, you know, uh, five and a half years old, basically. But he was talking about magic. And this was, let's see, what was the official title of the panel? Making Magic Believable, okay? 
And so let me go through a couple of the things that really jumped out from my own notes as I was scribbling stuff down. Um, Because there's some basic writing stuff that he starts off with. Here's a couple things that are interesting and obvious yet, you know, sort of fun to think about, too, and maybe a bit like sometimes you hear and you're like, oh, yeah. Um, So it says here, people who read fantasy expect magic. I think that's interesting for anybody that's doing a fantasy comic or is writing fantasy books. This is the one that I really liked. Magic is a device to enhance your story for the reader. It should never become the story. I was like, okay, that that totally makes sense. Yet that little reminder for me was really critical when I was looking through it. I was like, yeah, that is true. My book's not about the fucking magic. It's about the story, you know, and the magic will play a role. Um, And then it says here, use magic as a device to enhance the human elements of the story. Again, basically the same thing over and over. Mm -hmm. But then what he did was he gave a, a presentation of 11. Some amps go to 10. This one goes to 11 thinking points (laughs) to magic as a plot device okay 11 thinking points to magic as a plot device so let's tear through them real quick and if you have anything you want to say just chime in okay okay um so number one feel of magic magic has to hit has to fit the feel happy story happy magic industrial story industrial magic again what's industrial magic i would imagine that industrial magic I mean, I'm not sure what industrial magic would look like, but, you know, I'd have to read some novels on it. Um, But clearly it's a thing, you know, Um, I I can't think of what industrial magic would be without just sort of making a fool out of myself. But hey, if anybody out there is listening and you're familiar with this type of stuff, then hit us up and we'll we'll gladly stat boy this um, out in the future and, and spend a little bit of time on what industrial magic might look like. Um, Number two, pick your magic level. So there are three kind of spots on a continuum here, and it says ambiguous and then semi-defined and defined, okay? Ambiguous, semi-defined, and defined in terms of magic. So ambiguous is no rules. Um, you it's make like a Scarlet new... Witch. Yeah, I, th- I think, yeah, basically you, you make a new rule every time you need it is what I wrote down. Mm. Um, and then all the way to the other end, you have defined. So it's defined rules, basic principles, um, then consistent and logical consequences, right? So yeah, ambiguous feels more like almost if you want to use like the, the first matrix, right? Where it's like you, you, you queue up the magic, quote unquote, which in that case was just technology as you need it, where defined would probably be, you know, scholarly, there's principles, it's studied, um, and we all know the planned outcomes. It's almost like a branch of science, mm. right? Yeah, very um, much like I said it jokingly, but I think it's accurate is Scarlet Witch, I think a lot of times in the comics, you're like, what the fuck exactly is her powers? You Mm -hmm. know, and even in the first few movies that she was in, it's just like, what? What is what does she do? But it's kind of like what you said. It's like, well, she does what what's needed for that story. Mm -hmm. You know, like what's the element that we need done? It's what she does. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Works for me. And actually, and there's a little bit more here, too, where it says ambiguous. That would be Lord of the Rings. We can't use it to solve problems. Mm. Okay. Like and, and I think what he means by problems is like society problems. You can use it to solve your problem as an author for a scene, but right. it's not like magic is not a problem solving thing for the world. Um, and then you have semi-defined, the one in the middle, which uh, he equated to Harry Potter. So the reader understands basic basics and it's and it's use sometimes. Right. So there's some basic things to magic. And I think we can all figure out kind of how Harry Potter works, like spoken spells, um, 
you know, and certain things that get their way through it. So again, I think all of us could describe the feel of Harry Potter magic, yet none of us would have any idea of how the specifics actually work because, again, it's semi, semi-defined, semi but it's also not completely ambiguous in terms of its use. You know, I mean, there are schools that teach it. Um, and then again, unfortunately, I haven't read this series, but I'm sure some listeners have. Mistborn would be the defined example. Magic can solve problems. Magic is a tool. It's like a sword. So magic, again, has a scientific feel um, if you're if you're talking about a defined role for magic. Going on to number three. So number three says abilities. And, and by the way, I'm going to mention some of these things. Look, I'm not an expert in magic. I thought it was an interesting thing to talk about because I'm exploring the idea as as I'm saying it in some case. I mean, I obviously have an idea of the magic in my own book, and I'm using this as a way to hone that down and use these ideas to hopefully shed light on it. Does that mean I'm going to religiously follow principles 1 through 11? No. But if I say all these principles, then it might be the kind of thing where, you know, people come back and listen later and they're like, oh, that makes a little bit more sense now. You know, so anyway, um, abilities. How do I want magic to affect the plot slash the reader? From there, you can create what magic can do. So I, I think that feels like it talks more about what you want the magic to look like. You know, so for example, again, I'm just going to kind of rhyme off the dome here. But like, let's say you want a magic that is n- based on nothing but potions, Right. Well, then that means that everything's going to have to have to have a potion feel and application. And that's going to change the way magic is, right? You can't just whoop it off the cuff. You can't just say expecto patronum with a wand and create a big old fucking unicorn of light. You know what I mean? Or or do some of even the crazier stuff as you get later in Harry Potter where you don't even need to talk to do it. You can just use your brain, you know, and all that stuff. Right. So um, what what actual things is magic going to do? You know, people who play Dungeons and Dragons know this, right? Like you if if you're a certain type of character, then you're going to use a certain type of magic. You know, certain characters are going to be able to conjure fireballs and certain ones aren't are not because that's kind of who they are. Right. So the abilities and what magic can actually do um, is going to dictate a lot there. Number four, limitations coming up with the things magic cannot do. Um, again, I'm just cribbing from notes here. Limitations are more interesting than than abilities. Um, limitations limitations should work so characters work harder to overcome obstacles. Yeah, that's that's huge, actually, um, especially for Ed when he writes. That's something he talks about all the time. For him, it's not the... I mean, it's powers are cool, but it's the limitation on those powers that make them more interesting for him and you know, even just as a reader, you know, that's the thing he's yeah. more, more interested in. So that's the interesting thing, um, about when we use the powers in the comic books, it's like the limitations on them and on the characters. Yeah. And I mean, you, you rub up against something interesting that I should have mentioned before, which is a lot of these rules apply to superheroes, like superheroes mm-hmm. are definitely kind of a way of magic. So you can say, you know, in a lot of cases, you could go back and listen to this substitute magic for superpowers and a lot of these things apply, right? So uh, whether it's magic or whether it's kind of a superpower concept, I think a lot of these rules are really going to be beneficial, even if it's just a way of reframing the way you're thinking about your own stuff and serving as like a water test on your own things, you know? Yeah, so, and that's like, I think Ed had pointed out before, 
Um, it's the difference between Marvel and DC, and that's why he's always been a Marvel guy, where DC's characters feel like gods um, because most of their powers don't have limitations. Mm-hmm. And where Marvel is, it's kind of like the average guy with powers or, you know, it, so it's a different vibe. It's a different feel. They feel yeah. more down to earth, even if they're very powerful. Yeah. And that and limitations tie into the number five, which is weaknesses. Things that can be exploited, allowing story to remove a character's magic. The note here says, be careful with weaknesses as they can become cliches. That is Superman and Kryptonite, right? The the most obvious weakness out there. You know, I used to make the joke back when I cared more about Superman that, boy, there's a whole lot of fucking Kryptonite in the universe. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, oh, oh, Superman, but did you know that I found Kryptonite at Best Buy? And I'm just going to use it right now. Like, goddamn, there's a whole lot of kryptonite out here that people get to use on Superman. I thought the shit was rare, you know. So, right. you know, that's that's kind of, I think, the the idea there. And then, uh, you know what? I think at the risk of of not, like, I don't want to say everything. You know what I mean? I think those first five are are really good. And let me see if I can just cherry pick a few more and then that way I'm not just spitting word for word. Um, Number eight I liked, which it says deep is better than wide. Better to only do a few things, but with a strong understanding of how it impacts the world and really dig down into the things that will affect the story, right? So I thought that one was really good. And then um, I think the other one, is that I liked was talking about world building and extrapolating the magic. So technically number nine. If you want to know more, eh, you can find it somewhere else. You know, again, I think just out of respect to the fact that this is someone's lecture who they go around and doing stuff, why why give all 11? How, but, um, oh, yeah. Okay. That you know what I mean? Say, what was the number again? Yeah. 11, yeah. So right. we, went, we went one through five and then we're just cherry picking eight and nine. Um, but number nine is a good one because I think you could argue that is it's the most thought involving one which is the idea of extrapolating and that's just the idea of thinking through everything which scott and i have talked about so much in terms of our own books and properties and novels and all that stuff right like if this magic thing happens if this exists then what does that mean for the world and and what does the world do you know if magic is the one on the on the far extreme where it's no a known commodity perhaps it can be learned perhaps it can you know be used by a whole lot of people well then society's going to have a use for it you know and that's the kind of thing that you will need to think through where if magic is ambiguous then it might be a little bit more of a secret in in the world that you are creating right um, and if it's if it's exposed to the world and available to the world, then you know governments are going to try to weaponize it, and that yeah, can create exactly. its own problem. Exactly, or or again, or people or companies will want to use it, or companies will want to hire magicians, or you know whatever it's going to be, right? So again, it's it's up to you to think through all those things, and you know, much like we said with research, don't get too way down deep in it, but you know this is this is the time to probably do some pretty profound thinking. And in a way, this touches on so much of what I've talked about the last four or five episodes as I've had this thing over my head as I've been thinking about the novel where I've basically been saying sometimes directly and sometimes indirectly that I don't think I have enough of an understanding of how magic works in my world to really write that much right now because 
you know, it's going to mean that the stuff I write is just complete shit and, and nobody wants that, you know, so I know I'm going to take some of these principles and and think about them a little bit more and make sure I understand the role that magic wants to play, that ma- the role I, I want magic to play in the story and how it's going to serve the story and the characters. And hopefully, you know, those pointers really help uh, might help you out there do the same and think about it a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't have much to offer as far as the rest of the subject goes, but um, I don't know if I've mentioned it to you. I'm pretty sure I have. I've mentioned it on the podcast before as a reference, a book a book reference. Magic Order by Mark Miller mm-hmm. is really, really good. The first, the first, um, it's it's on three. There's three three miniseries. The first one was Olivier Coipel. The second one was Stuart Immonen. Uh, I'm sorry, I don't have the book in front of me, but the third one... Actually, I do. Hold on one second. <clears throat> um, the third one is Gigi Caravaggio. So, uh, it's a very great series. Like like you were listing off, there's limitations, there's there's rules to it. It's clearly defined. Um, it's a really fantastic book, man. So definitely check it out if you can. Uh, worth picking up. And uh, a lot of the things that you were talking about, I feel like Miller did the research on and really defined those roles in, in his world. And uh, it's consistent, you know. You mm-hmm. it never nothing feels out of place when it happens, and um, yeah, there's just a cleverness to it. And uh, of course, Miller works with the best artists, so the art is always beautiful. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think I think what you're adding there is important, and it's important in a larger way than I think you're saying, which is it's so helpful. So let's say that you've never heard anything we're talking about before and this is all new to you, right? If this is all new to you, then you now have a little bit of a, you have a few rules, a few principles, a few things to think about, not only in your own story, but when you read somebody else's story. And now you can go in armed with, okay, how are they doing this? How are they doing that? Because that's that's the way we all get better. You know, we take some bit of applied knowledge or some bit of knowledge and then apply it to actual works. You know, you, you can read how-to books all you like. But the best how-to book is simply product that exists. You know, you want to write a novel, read a bunch of novels. You want to write a comic or draw a comic, read a bunch of fucking comics. You know, so seeing how it is applied and how people use it really gets your brain working and allows you to, you know, just get that breath and get like the equivalent of real world experience with this stuff as you see how other people are applying it. So I think that's a valuable lesson told through your example. Yeah. And uh, go the other way. So whatever they're doing, make sure you're not doing all of that. You know, like yeah. there might be some helpful, like helpful tips. Well, alcohol. There might be some helpful uh, tips there for you to look at and go. Oh, okay, I see how he did it there. That kind of if you're working on something like this already, you can you can go to a book and go. Okay, let me see how they did it. Oh, that's how they solved that problem. Okay, does that work with your book? Does that seem like a generalization? Does that seem like something they're doing specifically? If it is something they're doing specifically, do your best to get away from it. Try not to crib other people's ideas too much, but it mm-hmm. gives you an idea of what you could do and potentially just go the complete opposite way of it, you know? Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense. So, hey, it's bullshit time. What you got? What what kind of bullshit you like to bring here? Um, I went to my girlfriend's company dinner, which was dinner in a magic show. 
very oh, okay. very appropriate for this episode. Um, it wasn't something I was going to bring up, but hey, it was the focus of this episode, so hey, it makes sense to go uh, go there. Um, good dinner, decent dinner. Um, last year, we we had a smaller dinner. It was just a few of her coworkers. My girlfriend has a company card. We went to a steakhouse. Um, one of her smaller coworkers got a tomahawk steak and I was completely jealous because I was looking at it on the menu and talking about it basically the whole time we were trying to figure out what to get I was like I just want this tomahawk steak but it's so much money it's so much money my girlfriend never said to get it mm-hmm. so when her uh, very small co-worker uh, got, we all got our orders in and they placed a tomahawk steak in front of her I was like what the fuck you got the tomahawk steak and she's like yeah I would never order this for myself if I was paying for it so yeah, mm-hmm. I got it. And my girlfriend looked at me and goes, You should have just got that. And I was like, What the fuck? You didn't tell me I could get it. <laughs> I've been bamboozled. Yeah, man. So uh I was like, That's it. Next year, getting the tomahawk steak. Yeah. But the company has grown since then and they're like, No, we have an organized dinner, you get a pick steak or um what is it? Um it was chicken, fish, or Shit, what is it? It's not it's not tri-tip. What's the other one? Quad tip. <laughs> no, it's that um That was popularized by the Quad City DJs in a great song called Come On Eat That Quad Tip. <laughs> <laughs> it's the uh it's the it's a meat option. It's always red. Um god damn it. What is it? Hamburger. No man, it's like a good cut of meat. Everyone, they always they always advertise it at the casinos. Like you can get wagyu. You're not helping. <laughs> I don't know. Whatever. That was a real answer. No, prime no, that's rib. too fan. Prime rib. There it is. Prime rib. Boom. That's the one. Boom that's goes the, the dynamite, motherfucker. Yeah, man. Yeah. So uh, it wasn't as good as a tomahawk steak, and the I enjoyed the magic show. All right, but. I don't know if you've ever listened to podcasts where comedians talk about doing corporate gigs and how, like, they're the worst. They get paid a shitload of money for it, but mm-hmm. it's the worst because basically everyone in that world is, like, they have their own deal, their own inside jokes, the things they like to talk about. There's there's this vibe when you do corporate gigs, and I felt so bad for the magician because that's what it felt like. I was like, yeah. oh, this dude's... And he was bringing it up a lot because he was like getting dead air he would do the he would do um the magic trick and a little bit of a joke and then no one would really respond and i would be smiling because i was like oh that's great that was a cool trick yeah and then like but he's just like okay well that's where people usually applaud all right going to the next (laughs) going to the next trick. so it was one of those things i was like oh man the guy's bombing and i was like he's not bombing with me i'm really enjoying this but you know it was one of those things. Um, there were some very cool tricks there. Um, some, tr- a lot of the tricks I had seen done by other comedians, or not comedians, I keep saying comedians, uh, other magicians, but um, still cool to see in person. And uh, nice. hey, free dinner, free beers. Yeah, hell yeah. I bet the jokes would I bet the magic would have been better if you'd have had some tomahawk steak in your belly. Oh my God. It would have been the best. You'd, you'd have laughed your ass off. You'd have been like, motherfucker, I got you. I'd be wagging the bone around in front of the, the boss. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You paid for this, bitch. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay, so I'm going to try to condense this because, honestly, I could almost do an entire Bring the Bullshit episode on just a trip to New York that I took recently. 
but I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to to boil it boil it down. So this this trip's a little old, but I haven't had a chance to talk about it because of the nature of our year end stuff and all that. So I wanted to save it. I wrote down notes so it tries to stay fresh. But so what I'm gonna do is I'm just gonna take like some quick hits, okay? Like just quick factoids, and I'm gonna Hit spend a little bit a little bit more time on it on two things, okay? So I went to the Jersey Shore to hang out with my cousin for a little bit. And then I went to New York City, where I made good on my promise to take one of my older kids, Ava, to a Knicks game at the Garden. Okay. Uh, so here are the quick hits. Number one. New- I the Knicks the got best- smoked. That is that is actually the I'm oh I'm spending time on the Knicks guy. Oh okay okay. Time. <laughs> oh we're gonna spend some time. Yeah. Um, I believe the best coffee in the United States served through a chain is by a Jersey Shore company called Rook Coffee. Okay. Fan fan fucking tastic. There aren't that many coffee places that actually make coffee. You know, like when I go to a town, you hit Yelp, you say who's got the good coffee, and then you find places that are, you know, four and a half stars out of five. But they aren't in most cases, they're not four and a half stars out of five because of their coffee. The four and a half stars out of five because of their lattes or their macchiatos or their whatever fucking drinks that I generally don't get. You know, I drink coffee, drip coffee. So for me, like a chain like Pete's, I like Pete's, but Rook Coffee is the shit. Like when you order coffee, they have 12 kinds. Like you can go to their website right now if you want and and try to order a coffee and then of course you know, place it for pickup in coastal New Jersey and hope that you can get there. But um, yeah, man, there's twelve fucking choices. You know what I mean? Nice. Like it's it's unbelievable. And they let you. They have a great app for ordering where they give you all kinds of options. You know, your typical like you want white sugar, you want sugar in the raw, you want agave, you want this. They just unbelievable. So yeah, I I love going to see my cousin because I love my cousin, but also because I love the fucking out of rook coffee man just so so good that's the only um, place it is it's not a chain it's it's a localized chain just around the jersey shore like oh, i okay. couldn't i couldn't even find a rook coffee on staten island and staten island is basically just north of most of the northern jersey shore you know but okay. nope nothing nothing just just mid mid north jersey shore um so that that was the main thought there in new york right we're on our way to the Knicks and we're like hungry. And so I'm like, we stop in a deli and I get a sausage, egg and cheese bagel. Scott, there are probably 1000 places, 1000, right? I'm guessing in, in almost just Manhattan alone where you can get a sausage, egg and cheese bagel. That's better than any fucking thing I can get out here in the entire state of California, Mm. you know? A thousand fucking places. Like you just go into a deli and you're like, give me a sausage, egg and cheese bagel. And you look at the bagel and you're like, that looks like a good fucking bagel. And it is because the bagels there are so goddamn good. So I just had, I mean, it's so lame in a way to say like I had an awesome sausage, egg and cheese bagel sandwich. And people on the East Coast who listen to this podcast of the United States are probably thinking like, you know, wow, wow, Keith, like live it up and have a sausage, egg and cheese bagel. Like no motherfucker. (laughs) come out here okay (laughs) like like you 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 gotta believe me out here in california man 
I'm sure I can find a good bagel somewhere, but I don't fucking know where, you know, like, and it, and it ain't, it ain't like New York bagels, man. Like I do vouch for New York bagels, um, in terms of just being so, so good. So it was like a crappy sandwich that I could get at a corner deli that was in like the, the ground floor of like a big apartment building. But Scott, it was oh so good. It was just oh so good. Nice. Um, yeah, so that was that. Um, Kino Kuniya. So uh, my, with my kid, we wanted to go to a couple places. And Kino Kuniya, which is this uh, bookstore that uh, I think there's a bunch of locations, but she wanted to go there because she wanted to buy some manga. So I, you know, she got some manga. I bought her some manga. And, um, but then I ended up getting some books there. And I, it turned out to be a pretty good bookstore. That was about all I had. It was just a, a surprisingly decent bookstore because I thought it was only going to be like a manga bookstore or a manga slash Japanese language bookstore but the thing was two levels and the first level was basically just a standard bookstore with all kinds of normal sections all kinds of really interesting books there I grabbed a few that may or may not inform future stories or that I just want to read so uh, anyway I just wanted to shout that out that like it was a much better bookstore than I expected um, and had and had a really cool selection of books across all genres and, and multiple languages Nice. Um, pizza. So New York pizza is amazing, but I do want oh, to God. shout out the 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 one thing on Staten Island, right? Danino's. Danino's on Staten Island. You make amazing pizza. So much New York pizza is good, but Danino's pizza is just a little different. I don't know, man. Maybe maybe they put a little garlic in it or something. But fuck, so good and very very close to where my kid goes to school. So you know. Always, there's always good pizza in New York. Again, there's a thousand places where you can get good pizza, but boy, do I like Danino's in terms of just a rock solid, awesome New York pizza joint. And it's on Staten Island, which, you know, is pretty suburban and doesn't have a whole lot going on. It's great when you find that one spot that you're like, yeah, this is this is going to be my spot while I'm here. Mm-hmm. Um, a few years back, I think before quarantine, uh, me and my buddy. Yeah, yeah, it was well before quarantine, actually. Um, one of my buddies, we we're going there for a wedding. We're going to actually going to Maryland for a wedding, but we're like, hey, we're going to be on the East Coast. New York's right there. Let's go to New York for a couple of days and then we'll go Mm -hmm. to the wedding. And uh, so we did it. And just based off of where we were and where we were walking, we found a couple of places. Um, We went to a couple of different pizza spots and there was just one. It looked like it, it was a it looked like a chain. I don't know if it was. I can't even remember the name of it. And it was just like this giant area, but it was just the best fucking pizza. And it mm. was like right next to a halal guys. And yeah. me and my buddy, those are our staples. It's like, obviously, number one, you get pizza while you're there. Yeah. Number two, we always go and get halal guys. Halal guys is everywhere these days. Like, I don't think they're down here in San Diego. Um, if they are, I don't know. Uh, let me know. Making comics podcast at gmail.com if you know that. But um, yeah, so those were the spots that we always made sure we went to while we we're over there. And right. uh, man, I miss New York pizza. It's just yeah. so fucking fantastic. Yeah, I and I that makes me bring up something else too, because when I was game planning the places I wanted to eat the day before when I was hanging out with my cousin, I was talking about where I want to go, and I believe he said, "Well, you know, they have a good Mexican spot named Los Tacos Number One or something like that." And so what proceeded was then a four or five minute conversation where he kept on saying, "Yeah, but you haven't had Los Tacos Number One, so you don't know." And I'm like. Dude, I'm from Southern California. Yeah. <laughs> like, and, and, and like, look, there, there's some weird thing about Mexican food that wherever you go, people recommend Mexican food and that's fine. 
You know, like it happens a lot in places like Minnesota and Wisconsin too. Like, like, hey man, there's really good Mexican food down the corner. Dude, like no offense. Number one, it's probably not better than what I have in Southern California. Okay, like exactly. That's number like, one. Like just first just, and foremost. Just hashtag facts. Okay. Yeah. Like last time I checked, Southern California isn't very far from Mexico, and and it just so happens that a whole lot of people with Mexican heritage live in Southern California, and some <laughs> of them even own restaurants and, and so taco what that, shops. <laughs> what that means is that you can get very good Mexican food in Southern California. Is is it possible that Minneapolis or Madison, Wisconsin or New York City or Kentucky or places like that have Mexican food that's on par with what I get in Southern California? It totally is. But guess what? I'm not in your fucking state for that. Right. I'm I'm in your state for the thing that I can't get in Southern California. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yep. And like, again, like I wouldn't. I wouldn't want to have somebody from the, oh, God, what's the name of that thing that I like so much? Um, hold it. Hold it. No. God damn you. God damn you. Oh, I know what it is. Okay. So if someone from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan came to Southern California and I said, hey, there's a great restaurant for, for pasties down the street. Why don't we go? They'd be like, get the fuck out of here. I get all the pasties I want on the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. It's like a local food to the Upper Peninsula. Why are you, Mr. Southern California, telling me that there's a great pasty spot? And there could be. By the way, if you don't know what pasties are, it's basically like a, a hot pocket, but with a, like a beef pot pie type thing in it, right? It's, again, okay. it's, it's, a, it's served warm in like a pocket. It's, it's very good, but it's okay. more like a, a, a portable pot pie. Um, and you can, you can put all kinds of like, you know, different things in it and stuff like that. Again, I'm a fan, um, but, but it to sounds that good. point, it, it is good. It is good, but it's a thing from the upper peninsula of the state of Michigan, you know? So anyway, uh, so all, everybody out there, I'm not, I'm not saying the Mexican food where you are is like, it could very well be as good as the thing down the street, but I have the thing down the street. I can get the thing down the street all the time because it's down the street. What I can't mm-hmm. get is the stuff that that your state has that my state doesn't. Right. You know? So anyway. Yeah. Um, when I was younger, I would fight against that. New York has the best pizza. I was like, what are you guys talking about? We have New York giant pizza here. It's the same. You know, and that's coming from the place where of ignorance because I had never yeah. been to New York at that time. And uh, once you have it and you find that one spot, they're like, holy shit. Yeah, I see what they're talking about. Then Mm -hmm. that's in your mind. And that's that's what it is. And uh, yeah, I 100 percent agree. SoCal is known for their Mexican food. You know, it's just like that's what's what it is. We don't I'm not going to any other state looking for their Mexican food. That's not that's not what it's about. Um, I will say, though, yeah, just like based off of your example, there are places that are going to be just as good because, for instance, my buddy moved to Nebraska. He met his wife in a cigar bar while he was meet, hanging out with a friend in Nebraska. He went there to visit mm-hmm. and he met his future wife at a cigar bar. He ended up moving there, getting married. He lives there now. Mm-hmm. He goes, their Mexican food is shit here. He goes, they don't have they don't have jack in a box or good Mexican food. And he goes, it sucks. <laughs> and um what am I supposed day. to eat when I'm drunk or high? Right, exactly. <laughs> and so, um, and he goes, they don't even have Del Taco. So anyway, he was, one day he texts me and he goes, oh my God, 
I found a spot. It's not too far from my house. It's it's brand new. They just opened it up. They have carne asada fries here. And I was like, what the fuck? Yeah. And he goes, they have carne asada fries and California burritos. I was like, no shit. And he goes, he's like, they're from San Diego. They moved here yes. and opened up their own spot. And yep. he goes, it's yep. the fucking shit. So, yeah, yeah it happens. It's like, it yeah, so it branch, people branch out. But let's let's go with the odds here. More yeah. often than not, you're wrong. Your Mexican yeah. food sucks, and and it's not going to be up to par. But, but again, e- but even once if it's in a good, while, I'm not there for it. I'm just yeah. not there for it. You know, right. like like for me, look. Sometimes I get a hankering for a Philly cheesesteak, and there's a local chain called Philly's Best that makes a reasonable Philadelphia cheesesteak. It will it will scratch the itch, and it would probably be like a top ten or twenty cheesesteak if I were still in Philadelphia. You know, so so it's okay to have those things. But if my buddy came here from Philadelphia, you're not there's no fucking way I would say let's go to Philadelphia's best. You know I'm going to take like, you to what we're known for down here. So guess what? You're getting Mexican food and breweries. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, you're getting all that shit, and you're getting fish tacos, and mm-hmm. you're getting you know whatever. Right. So anyway, um, all right. So a couple other uh, semi quick things. I didn't expect to spend that much time on it. Comic shops. I did find a comic shop. In fact, what I found, Scott, was Midtown Comics. Midtown. Oh, no shit. Yeah. Yeah, oh, it yeah. was it was it was fun to take a pilgrimage to Mecca, you know, on some level because you and I yeah. both spend so much money online through there. As a shop though, it's not like they have that kind of inventory, you know, like oh. the trip the they have multiple locations the shop, though. They have multiple locations and I'm sure they have a warehouse that dwarfs all the locations. Yeah. But for the Midtown that's actually in Midtown Manhattan, like off 52nd or something like that, you you walk in, you got to go upstairs to get to the base floor, which is the second floor of the shop. The second floor of the shop is a lot of trade paperbacks and a wall of the books that came out this week. You then have to go up a floor, and that's where you get into some, like some merchandise, some T-shirts, some Funko Pops, and then back issue bins. But what's what's wild about the back issue bins is the back issues can be the last issue of the book. You know, like, look, it's common practice for a comic shop. If if issue two of something is on the stand, then all you got to do is thumb through to the back of that stack yeah. that's facing you, and there's probably a number one there. Midtown doesn't do that, dude. They have like a rigid system where I can just tell that number ones, man, the ones they don't sell, they probably put some of them in the warehouse and they throw a few of them upstairs because I found some of them that way. Um, Hey, on a quick shout out, there were a couple books that I didn't know anything about that before this trip that I that I grabbed and I think I can rate them from from good to very good potentially great you know and so um, I'm gonna call them out real quick I I found a book called uh, Three Keys that I thought was pretty good um, it's a fusion of like working in a comic shop plus Cthulhu so that's mm-hmm. that's intriguing um, and then there are two books that I've really gotten into, again, just based on seeing covers and being like, I don't remember shit about this book. I think both are by Boom. In fact, all three might be by um, Boom or, or one of them might be by Image. But the two books that I was really impressed with are I think three keys is by Image. Is it? Okay. So these two are definitely by Boom. Damn Them All is fucking cool. Mm-hmm. It's like a John Constantine Hellblazer type story. And then Briar 
is very cool. It's about okay. a sleeping, I've seen a sleeping, it on the shelf. sleeping beauty type character that falls asleep, wakes up a hundred years later, and the whole kingdom's gone to shit. And it's just like dark fantasy, man. So I give very high scores to both of those books and recommend people check them out. I I really really like them. I added them to my holds today, actually. So right um, so super good, super good. And then that brings us to our final thing, Scott, which is the New York Knicks. So I went to the Garden. And for people who like basketball or even, like, don't hate basketball, you should go to the Garden. Like, go to the Garden for something. It's Madison Square Garden, man. It's one of the most important arenas in the country. Mm -hmm. Um, I loved, you know, I'd I'd been to the Garden once before. I went there for the Big East basketball tournament, but I'd never been there for the Knicks. And all I can say is that is a 10 out of 10 on all levels, man. You know, like just the presentation of the basketball, 10 out of 10, the arena, 10 out of 10, the in arena entertainment, you know, like they had a a woman's dance team and a kid's dance team perform. Both of them were the best dance teams I have seen in a long time in just terms of quality of presentation. I was like, fuck, these people are amazing. You know, Mm -hmm. they had this DJ. She's 14. And she what? was like the she was the in-house DJ. I think it was like DJ Antoinette Rocks or something like that. That was her handle. DJ Child Labor Laws. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, yeah, exactly. Well, I think she's 14, so maybe she gets around it. Um, or maybe they had to provide her with a tutor or something in between. I don't know. But but uh, but it was a Saturday, and dude, she like so you're thinking like 14 year old DJ. What's she gonna play? You know what she played? Banging New York hip hop banging Mm. like like my favorite thing about new york is new york seems to think that hip-hop stopped getting made in 1997 which makes it the greatest hip-hop city in the country (laughs) you know what i mean like (laughs) like i didn't hear i didn't hear a single thing in my time in new york that was released after 1997 and it was so good so it was just and this dj was amazing she was just doing these fire ass mixes and like 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 she could have been a touring dj for like a, a high quality rap group in terms of what her skills were and she's only 14 i was blown away um what was not a 10 out of 10 was the new york knicks themselves <laughs> <laughs> so so i have thoughts on the knicks and i'm going to be really quick about it okay because the thoughts are pretty straightforward they don't have offense they have to work they don't have shooting and they don't have ball movement. So what the Knicks offense is, is maybe one pass and then some kind of contested shot by a player that is being asked to make their own shot. And you know what, dude? Sometimes that works. They they got they were up seven um, at the half on the game that I was at, which was against the Mavericks. And then the Mavericks, the Mavericks had missed wide open threes in the first half. Oh, they stopped missing them in the second half because they were getting wide open threes thanks to how good of a passer Luka Doncic is. But then they were knocking them home. They went on a 41 to 15 run in the third quarter and the game was fucking Yeesh. over. Dude, oh, man. it was it was just gonzo in terms of like they all went in and the Knicks were still doing their their clogged toilet ass offense where they pass once to like Randall or Brunson and then he has to beat a guy off the dribble and, and make like a fadeaway. You know, Tibbs like is just Tibbs is not an offensive coach. He's all about no. the defense, and no. that's great. But you need you need a balance. You need to have that coach off the bench that knows offense totally. and is going to create, uh, you know, plays even you know, or mm-hmm. just like run run some plays, man. That's something about exactly. That's something about basketball that I don't understand. That most teams, some teams have figured out is 
like after watching the Golden Golden State Warriors, it's like team basketball and set plays work. Yeah, and, exactly. And like for years, years and years, they went away from that. They're like, okay, we'll give the superstar the ball and they're going to create. And yeah. it's just like, yeah, those times are done now. They're done. Because Golden State has a superstar who can shoot from the other side of the court. Yeah. But they te- play they play team basketball, the ball moves, and totally. guess what? You guys are chasing that ball, and eventually he's going to find it, and he's going to knock down that three. So it's just like, if you haven't learned from that, then you're not learning. You're not paying attention. Yeah, yeah I mean, and and the, the, yeah, the Warriors are like the mutant evolution of the Popovich offense. And, mm-hmm. but like, Absolutely. And, and that's the thing, too. Like, to your point, Scott, like Golden State and San Antonio, they don't just know how to run plays. They know how to run creative actions. Mm-hmm. What we're talking about is the inability to run simple plays. You know, like the Knicks don't even fucking run plays as far as I can tell. And but to their credit, they won the next two, you know, like since since then they've won their next two. So, I mean, it works, but like it's going to make them a 500 team because yeah. they don't have shooting and they don't run plays, you know. Right. So anyway, path of most resistance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, so so yeah, that that was my quick thoughts on the Knicks, and I see we are really running on time. So yep. let's do this. Um, you can find me on Instagram at Keith underscore Invader. I am posting. I try to post about five times a week on that, and do all kinds of stuff. The books I'm reading, the things I'm doing, maybe a nice picture, and definitely the comic books. And and uh, at some point, the books that I do will be up there once they're out in the world. And I also have at Kadoja Kaiju. That's all giant monsters all the time, but I don't post as free. So I suggest you follow me at Keith underscore Invader on the gram. And you can find me at Scott Lost on Twitter and Instagram. That's S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. Yeah, websites, you can find me at KeithRFoster.com. I have some pages up there for Three Protectors. That's Kung Fu in Space and Kadoja, which is Giant Monsters Meet HP Lovecraft, as well as some other links and a store where you can grab those books right now. And you can find my books at AccidentalAliens.com, Second Shift, Minimum Wage super, Superheroes, um, and uh, Wanderers Milsanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs versus Humans, all at AccidentalAliens.com. Madison Square Garden, like I just mentioned, is a 10 out of 10 on everything. But guess what's a 5 out of 5, motherfucker? This podcast. And all it takes is for you to make that a reality. You know, so go over there. Go on Spotify. Go on Apple Podcasts. Throw your boys five stars. Hey, we're an hour and a half in. Come on now. Come on now. Come on now. You know what else is five stars? Chop chocolate babka stout. Holy shit! I'm in another galaxy right now. But uh, <laughs> if you want to talk about that in this episode and how drunk you thought I was, you can go to makingcomicspodcast at gmail dot com. Let us know if there's any questions, comments, concerns, anything that you want us to talk about we haven't talked about yet. Um, an idea that you had for an episode, maybe we'll use it. If it is good, we will uh, check it out, talk amongst ourselves, and uh, make something out of that. Um, if it's not good, we won't. But we'll let you know. All right. I think the Making problem, Comics Podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, I think the problem with your drunkness on this podcast is the format wasn't set up very well for you to exhibit just how drunk you are. Because <laughs> because the magic thing was really just me reading from a list and you chimed in at opportune times, but we didn't really let you drive the bus. You know what I'm saying? Towards the end there, I was like, wow, that was not a sentence. Um, and that's that's honestly when it started happening was was once I started fucking up sentences that's when it started hitting me I was like hey everything's cool and then that sentence came out that wasn't a sentence and I'm like things aren't cool anymore up up until that moment you're like I'm the smartest man ever 
<laughs> you're just you're just sitting there going like, yeah, this beer's great. I'm the smartest man ever. This is fucking Got it all amazing. figured out. <laughs> all right, man. Anyway, so uh, so we will see you all next week, man. Thanks for hanging with us. Yeah, yeah.